Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we flip the real estate status quo on its head and put loan officers into the driver's seat. We give you all the tools, strategies, resources, and mindset needed to modernize your mortgage business and thrive. And my name is Luke Shankula, aka Longform Luke, and this is the Loans On Demand podcast. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Loans On Demand podcast, the show where we help loan officers flip the status quo on real estate agents and put loan officers in the driver's seat. And I'm excited for today because today we have branch manager, lender Avengers at Hind Lending. We have Nate Fain. He is a legend on social media. I'm pretty sure he's TikTok famous or one of those things. But yeah, welcome to the show, man. Thank you for being here. Dude, that was the best intro I've ever had. I appreciate that, man. Man, well, you know, I could have used all kinds of other fancy terms, but I figured I'll let you do that. So uh, give us your background, man. Who are you? Why should people listen to you? Why are you here, man? Dude, I guess I'm here because I did get somewhat famous on social media in this bizarre world that we live in. I got in the mortgage industry in 2012. I had a degree in journalism and a degree in education. So naturally, I got into the mortgage industry. Of course. And I guess if I'm sitting here thinking about my life, like all that three stuff came together. And now I just like I make social media content. It's educational content about mortgages. So nice. I guess that's why I'm here, man. I mean, so 2012. It's been a couple of years. You've been around the block a few times. What keeps you here, man? I mean, it's obviously, I mean, 2012 probably was the toughest market to start in because you didn't mm -hmm. start in 2008, but it's still, you know, I think 2011, 2012 was still kind of the recovery period. What keeps you in this industry? I tell people like 2012, and of course, ignorance is a little bit of bliss, right? But 2012 felt like you would go outside and it was like an old Western and you'd like yell, hey, does anybody want to buy a home? And hear like nothing. And then like a tumbleweed would go by. Like right, there wasn't right, right. a lot of activity, especially for someone who was trying to establish a business back then. So I actually cut my teeth back in the day by calling refinances. I was cold okay. calling refinances. The rates were pretty low. They were in the, like the high threes back then. And so I was at Wells Fargo at the time. I could figure out a way I could find all the Wells Fargo, the local Wells Fargo mortgages. And then I figured out that like in public record, you could see the loan number up at the top right-hand corner. And then I could go into the Wells Fargo payoff system and see if they were eligible for an Earl or a harp or in-house harp that we had there that had no closing costs. So nice. for the first month of my career, I just printed leads. And then I had, I mean, thousands of leads at that point. And then I just started cold calling people. So that's how I learned the mortgage industry is by doing those refinances. But then rates went up and I think it was 2013, 2014, they went up a little bit. I had to switch to purchase business. That's when it was like, okay, these refis dried up, took all these people down from, you know, six, 7% down to into threes. And now all of a sudden they went back up to four or 5%. Right. It didn't make a lot of sense. It wasn't as much of a slam dunk. So I realized that, okay, I can't really control what interest rates do. So I want to really focus more on purchase leads because people are always going to be buying and selling homes. So right. changed up my strategy a little bit. Still was doing some refis, still was doing some cold calls. At that time, like I had just bought my first house in 2011, 2012, something like that. And that's how I first got in the business, went through that process. And I remember thinking like, this was really confusing, but mm -hmm. my degree in education, I come from a family of educators, like, man, like, I feel like I could explain this to where people could understand what was happening. And I worked in banking at that point. So I was like, man, if I'm lost, like other people have to be lost. And right. plus I saw the mortgage guy at our branch just walking in and out of the branch all day. I was like, he's got all the freedom in the world. Like he's got all this freedom. He gets to help people buy homes. This is kind of what I want to do. I'm tired of slinging credit cards at the bank. So let's sling some mortgages instead. So 
that's how I got started. And I transitioned to like a purchase focus driven LO in 2014 or so. And I was new in Pensacola, which is where I live now in Pensacola, Florida. And I was trying to figure out like how to drum up business. So I had to figure out some creative ways to drum up business because really hard for me to start relationships in a town that I didn't know anybody. And eventually, like one of those things was social media. We'll get to that in a second. So you worked in the bank prior to going to mortgage. So you were doing credit card, like a teller or something like that? My first big boy job out of college was at Regions Bank at the call center. And I didn't know it was a call center job until the interview. So much so that- Super direct type of call center? No, they were calling me. So like they were calling me, it was no outbound calls, but yes, consumer direct in the sense that they were calling me, it was all customer service, no outbound calls. This was in 2010 in Pensacola, right after the BP oil spill happened. So the economy was in the crapper and then you had the BP oil spills, like the one, two punch down here. So I probably applied for 200 or 250 jobs with two college degrees and couldn't get a call back. And I was like, dude, I got to do something for money. So finally got my first job interview. It was the first interview that I got. And I was like, I have to take this. Did not realize it was a call center job until I got there. And even so much so, like they were looking at my resume. And of course, it, journalism and education, nothing to do with finance, nothing to do with business, nothing to do with math even. Right. And they looked at me and they said, you've got a really good degree from a really good school. And I was like, are y'all like making fun of me right now? But then I came to realize like you didn't have to have a college degree right. for that job. So they were legitimately impressed because I had a degree. So took that job. And was there for about six or seven months. And it was 80 calls a day. That was what was the goal. You know, someone called you and you had to sell them something and solve their problem in like five minutes or less. That's what the goal was. And then get them off the phone. And as soon as you got off the phone, someone else started calling in right then. So that taught me how to sell pretty quickly. I mean, how to be on the phone pretty quickly. After six, seven months of that, I got pretty burned out on it. And I was like, man, like this is so much traffic. This is the same thing over and over again. I wanted to go be belly to belly, face to face. So I transitioned into a branch. I got recruited by Wachovia at the time to be a personal banker in the branch. And then we transitioned to Wells Fargo. And I was there for a little over a year until the mortgage department recruited me. So that's eventually how I got into the mortgage industry. Nice, man. Well, you know, you just kind of fell into it, which is pretty common uh, in these conversations that I have. Everybody's always like, well, you know, like everybody else in the mortgage industry, I always wanted to be in the industry. Just kidding. Yeah. Right. I think I've only heard of one person and they were raised by someone who was in the industry. So, you know, in general, you either follow into the industry or someone in your family's in the industry. That's about how you get into it. So no one really wants to be a loan officer when they grow up. But hey, you know what? There's a big amount of impact that you can make as a loan officer, which was pretty exciting. Yeah, I didn't grow up like watching the bond market or anything like that. I watched sports and stuff. So like this was not where I saw myself going at all. Yeah, for sure, man. So yeah, man, let's fast forward a little bit back into, I guess, more modern times. You talked about getting into social media. What I like about what you did is like took the bull by the horns and uh, ultimately got yourself business. Interestingly enough, I feel like a lot of the producers and top producers that I interview on this show, a lot of them started in some version of call center, cold calling, something along those lines. And there just seems to be a correlation between starting the hard way in business and success long-term. Mm-hmm. I know not every single person started in the call center, but right. almost every person that is at the top of their game started doing something hard. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, usually they're doing some form of cold calling. I don't know how much that you think had an impact in the success over the years. It was a lot of rejection, right? You have to be okay with rejection. And so much so that even when I started 
trying to get business from realtors. I mean, it's unrealistic for me to go to my first meeting with a realtor and think, or a builder or whoever, any kind of referral partner and think that I'm going to start getting business right. immediately after that first meeting. Like that's not realistic. And if that does happen, I'm always like, wait, well, hold up. Why did y'all give that up so quickly? Like it takes a relationship, right? Right. But that being said, like there's a lot of rejection in this industry. So there's a lot of rejection in business in general. So I think having those cold calls and realizing like, okay, it just takes a certain amount of no's until I get a right. yes. It's a numbers game and it's a bunch of repetition, but then also understanding how to talk to people, understanding. I mean, one of the things that Wells Fargo actually did a really good job of and I'm very grateful for it is they did a lot of sales training for us. So it's like, you know, let's establish rapport. Let's find some empathy there. And then let's figure out what kind of problem they have. And then let's see how we can solve that problem. Now, also, I think my journalism background, I think that's actually helped me as well because the messaging of stuff, right? Sure. It's being able to relate it back to the consumer or to the referral partner, whoever it is I'm talking to. It's a way of being able to communicate. So I joke that education and journalism degree didn't really do me any good, but I think that helped me be better at this. Now, I had to learn a lot about business. I never saw myself in the business world, never thought that that was right. going to happen. Even when I took that first job at Regions, I'm like, dude, I'm selling something. Like, I don't know how to sell. I don't want to sell. I've never been in a sales role. I've been like a bartender before and I worked at a golf course before. Like sales were not something that I thought I was going to ever do. Came to realize like a lot of sales is just talking to people. That's and right. I was good at talking to people. So that created a really good foundation. Now, as far as social media goes, I've been on social media since whenever I got on Facebook in 2005. I mean, even before that, you could crank it back to MySpace, but I don't MySpace. think anybody's, nobody's trolling MySpace for mortgage leads, right? That no, might be not an untapped market, right? Like, I don't know, man. I've only been on MySpace a couple of times since then just to go look at my profile, but yeah. uh, it's certainly changed since our day. That's for sure. Okay. So not an opportunity there, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. You check it out. Maybe after this, we'll see. Maybe. Who knows? So yeah, I mean, I had been on Facebook since 2005. I was pretty well versed in how Facebook works. But then, you know, before it was called social media, it was called social networking. And I think that's where a lot of people get social media wrong is they treat it straight up like media, where I think that it should be a percentage of like, okay, this is social media, me talking at somebody, whereas you really need to use it as a networking tool too. Right. So early when I started my journey in social media to turn it into something that turned into business, it was just a networking tool. And that's all it was. Earlier in my career, I started posting memes. I used memes first and foremost to network to make people laugh. I friended a bunch of realtors. I friended a bunch of builders. I friended every single one of my clients. Like that was my CRM in a sense. Right. And I did that. I posted some educational stuff about mortgages, but by and large, like I tried to make people laugh. I enjoy making people laugh. And at that point it was memes. Is this circa 2012-ish or what? This was like 2014, 2015. Okay. Okay. It's like anything, like you get a little bit of positive feedback, like, oh, I posted this meme and it got 40 likes. Like, yeah, oh right. It's like, wait, like, I'm going to do that again. I wonder if I can do that again. You know, first it was like memes that I found elsewhere. Then it was like, okay, these are homemade memes. I learned how to make memes. Right. Then transitioned into some written word. I fell back on my journalism background a little bit there. And then it was pictures. It became pictures of whatever I was doing. It became pictures of myself. A lot of times it was just telling a story. Right. It was telling a story of like what I was doing that day, or if it was something that I thought that other people would find funny, I would post it because again, I like making people laugh. It creates that bond that creates a connection right there. And people are attracted to that. So my thought process was like, well, if I can just grow my network through 
my strengths, which at that time was like, it was humor and it was also golf. And then it was also just like face to face. So I was using my strengths to build my business, which I think is something that not to say that you shouldn't try to like push yourself and challenge yourself and something you're not good at. But I think first and foremost, like you need to find and really do some soul searching and find like, what are you good at? Like what interests you? Like, what are you good at? Where are you kind of the alpha, so to speak? So like played golf in school growing up. So like when I go on the golf course, I hit a golf ball. I'm blessed that I'm like really good at golf. Was really good at golf. I'm kind of washed up now. Mm-hmm. But that demands old, a certain amount. Old. Exactly. I call it dad golf. Like I play more golf with my kids now than I do with like actual adults. So it's like <laughs> you kind of lose a competitive edge, right? But it's something that like you are the authority figure. Right. And then people naturally like they want to talk to you about everything then because it's like, okay, if he's good at that or if he knows a lot about that, like what else does he know a lot about? So I kept trying to find situations where I could put myself in that situation. Sure. But then ultimately with social media, it became this thing where I posted my first video and it didn't have my face in it. It was something where there was a tropical storm rolling in and it was tropical storm Irma. And Mm -hmm. I just had a video of me walking into my office. You couldn't even see me. It was just me in my office. And it said, despite what the weather is, Irma be slinging mortgages today. Call me if you need me. And it did really well. And I was like, wait, there's like something to this. But then I was like, man, like, what do I do from here? Right. And it took me a year to get the courage to get my face on camera. And then about a year later, I started making videos and I committed to every Monday I was going to do a video and it was going to be less than a minute. I set that expectation on my first video. I said, every Monday, it's going to be less than a minute. And if I go over a minute, then I'm going to throw a taco party and everybody gets free tacos. And I did it all in one take. I did one minute videos for, I don't know how many months I did a one minute video every single Monday. Then it started turning into, okay, maybe I'll do a live video. Maybe I'll do this. And then I learned how to edit stuff. So my content just kind of grew from there. Instagram started doing videos. TikTok came about. So by the time that TikTok came about, like I had already been doing short form content for almost three years. Right. So it played into my strength and I was pretty jacked about it. That's pretty cool. But my favorite content memories were like 2018, 2019 Facebook. It was when I was like building and figuring out how to do it and just like absolutely sucking at videos, but like learning how to get better. Bro, I show people because like when people are like, oh, you're so good at video. I'm like, you think so? Let me go show you some of my <laughs> early videos, man. I was moonlighting as a reverse mortgage loan officer and I had, yeah. a, I was, what's it called? Trying to do a webinar. I was trying to basically do like invitation to a webinar. I'm like, hi. My name is Luke Shankula, and I want to invite you to a reverse mortgage web. I'm just like, oh my. Naturally, I'm probably better than most people right. at video, right? So right. I'm going to give myself some credit that, you know, I was fairly natural at doing video and content and stuff like that just because, I don't know, I love to talk. Even then, it was hard, right? You have to be overly animated, which feels weird unless you're like a former actor or something like that. And you're used to like having to be overly animated, but you have right. to be extra animated and like more so than you expect. And so there's like a lot of weirdness. And what's funny about social media is people think that like something like a meme is not valuable. Like people talk about, well, you got to mm-hmm. share value. And it's like, that is value. A meme is actually value because you're bringing someone, you're changing the way that they see the world in a mm-hmm. day, right? Like you're making them laugh. You're physically laughing or they're smiling or whatever. Like that's value. Right. Now, if all you do is post crappy memes all day long, right. that's the only thing you do. All right. Well, you could probably mix in some better content, but mm-hmm. I personally believe, especially if that's what you like. If you're a serious person, then don't post memes because that's not who you are. Right. But I love to post memes too. I love to right. post stuff about my family. I love to, you know, just, I like to talk crap. 
right? This maybe loses me some people here and there, but right. uh, you know, it is what it is. It attracts the people. And I grew my business mostly off social media too, because primarily I hated going to networking events, going to a networking event, probably the worst thing I could possibly do. BNIs are terrible going to local broker, whatever the little broker association meetings. I went to all kinds of stuff, right? Like, cause I didn't know what I was doing. So I just went to all kinds of stuff and I just sit in the corner and like hide. What I realized with social media is like, you talk about network. It allowed me to network and scale without mm. having to have the awkwardness right. of having a conversation with some stranger that like, we all know why we're here. We're all here trying to get business. Right. I want to compare answers here. So like, why yeah. do you think specifically that you hate going to like those networking functions? Me personally? Yeah. Interestingly enough, I am ADHD. So I think there's <laughs> definitely a little bit of rejection sensitivity dysphoria that pops up there. Mm-hmm. But secondly, I'm shy with people I don't know. So mm-hmm. unless it's like a group of people I know, I'm just going to shut down and I'm not going to mm-hmm. talk to people. Right. So to me, it's not worth my time, you know, whereas like to be myself on social media. I don't know, man. I like being in person, mm-hmm. but only with people that I know. Right. People I feel comfortable with. That's so, for myself. I'm kind of similar in the sense that like, I'm probably not going to walk up to someone and just like introduce myself. Like I'm just not that guy. Yeah. But what I found about social media is that it actually helped me in those networking events because yeah. then it was like a warm handoff, right? Like right. people knew who I was. So I started believing in the power of social media whenever I was started posting and I would go to a networking event. And then all of a sudden people are coming up to me talking to me. I'm like, this is great. Like they already feel like they know me. There's instant rapport there. I've already gotten to the second step of the sales cycle. There's the rapport already built in now. They feel like they know me. I know them from the internet. Now it's not like this awkward, like, hey, how are you doing? And then what do we talk about now? Now we can jump straight to the second step. Like that's what was really impactful for me. So that's what I I I loved about it. It's wild because I remember going to the AIM Fuse conference in 2019. And I remember people like saying, hey, Luke. And I'm like, hey, yeah. what's up, dude? How you doing? Yeah, that's cool. And it was like super awkward because it was like, oh, cool. Like these people know me, but you're right. And that's the power of social media. And, you know, the concept of parasocial relationships. We've talked about this several times on the mm-hmm. podcast, but that's the power of building a brand. I personally, I didn't do a ton of video on social media until mm-hmm. recently, mostly because of what you said. It's like, it's scary. I remember even for ads, like I didn't run any video ads for a long mm-hmm. time. Like I was always static and I wouldn't even use my face, but it's like, there's this like weird thing that we all have about our voices, about the way we sound. It's mm-hmm. like, the truth is, this is what we sound like to everybody right. else. You know, we just sound differently. So like from that perspective, I mean, you started doing videos. Like what I like is that you gave yourself kind of like a built-in accountability. Did you post publicly about the taco thing that, Hey, yeah. so there was like almost built in accountability with your network mm-hmm. and they would have called you out if you didn't. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Now it was rigged. Went oh, over okay. a minute on purpose. Like it got to a point. It was like, it's like six or seven videos in a row. And I went to my regional manager and I was like, Hey dude, can we get like 500 bucks for like the biggest taco party we've ever had in Pensacola? And he was like, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. Let's do that. And don't quote me on this, but it was over a hundred agents and other industry professionals came to a taco party. And then after that, like everybody was bought in. I mean, I was doing videos with like people in my branch. We were having a blast, man. Sure. And that's one thing that I want to try to get back to a little bit more in 2024 is like truly collaborating on social media. So like you're going to see more stuff from our team instead of it just looking like the Nate show out there. Right, Um, right, right. The way that I'm wired, like I really, really enjoyed that. Some of my favorite memories were that 2018, 2019. Yes, I was learning how to post videos, but I was also involving other people. And then in 2020, I kind of blew up on my own on a like a more national scale, which was wild. Like 
I couldn't go to a real estate function in Pensacola, Florida without people knowing who I was. And that was like powerful enough for me. But then when I blew up in 2020, it was just like a whole other ball game, like right. strangers coming up to me that aren't in the real estate industry. Like that was weird. Like people coming up to like my kids, like the ballpark. It was weird, man. So let's talk about that, man. I'm curious because, you know, 2020, I'm assuming was that TikTok or was that? That was TikTok. Was okay. Yep. And so obviously 2020, mm-hmm. uh, we were just talking about this. You're their counterpart on the team, Rebecca. You've had her mm-hmm. on podcast a couple times talking about TikTok. And I remember back in 2019, 2020, when mm-hmm. she was just starting to dabble in that. And I remember her even saying like, oh yeah, my daughter, I don't remember. It was like one of her kids was like, oh yeah, you got to be on here. And so she did it with her. And it was like, blew my mind because she was doing that back when everybody, including myself as a marketer was like, oh, that's just where the kids are at. Right. Yeah. She committed to that like full on. And so obviously you did the same thing. You have to like uh, overcome people like naysaying like that as well. You have a similar, like, why would you do that as a bunch of freaking, you know, 12 year old kids on there who's going to actually buy a house and stuff like that. Yeah. Dude, the way that I saw that though, is that, you know, we have said that about Instagram. We've said that about Facebook. So like, I knew that the the app was going to eventually age up. I didn't know how long it was going to take, but you know, I think I posted my first TikTok video in like January or February of 2020. So it was pre-COVID and maybe it was my first video. I think my first video got over like 10,000 views. I'm like, oh wow, it's better than almost every single Facebook video I've posted to this point. I think I had a couple that had got above 10,000 at that point. You used to be able to get way more views right. on Facebook but back in the day, man. Right. You know that. Real quick, you also talked about like doing lives and stuff like that. One thing that I can kind of tell based off what is you kind of like evolved with the platform because when you first started, you could do videos and you'd get reach. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh no, it's lives. And so you mm-hmm. kind of had to do lives. And then after a little bit, it was like, nope, not lives. Now it's Facebook groups. And then Facebook groups kind of phased out. And then it, yep. then Reels obviously rolled out, you know, 2020 or 2020 or whenever they rolled out to try to yep. compete with TikTok. Right. So, the thing that I enjoyed about that too is I like tinkering and I like experimenting, right? Sure. And so like when the platforms are adjusting too and the audience is adjusting too, like it's like a game. Like you try right. to adjust with it and I enjoy that part. Right. But no, so I like, posted my first video on TikTok and I think it was like 10,000. And then I posted maybe my third video and it was something simple. It was me and my truck. We went selfie mm-hmm. mode and I said, you know, you're from Florida. If you can drive in this... And then I switched it back to show my windshield. It was pouring raining, just okay. an absolute gully washer. And then I flipped it back to me and I said, but you freak out if it gets below 32 degrees. And everybody loved that. Like I got really good traction off of that. And I had all these like Florida jokes in my comments, like all these people joking about Florida. I'm like, okay, so I'm licensed in Florida. I live in Florida. I have Florida eyeballs on me. Like how can I capitalize now? And so then I started posting more and more stuff about Florida. I posted some mortgage videos about buying property in Florida. I knew that I had Florida eyeballs, but then I think it was my fifth or sixth video was one with my son. This is the one that kind of put me on the map. It's an old Larry Bird and Michael Jordan commercial where they were playing a game of horse for a Big Mac. It was a McDonald's commercial. And we spoofed that. And I made it kind of mortgage related at the end. And I posted it the night of the NBA All-Star game. And this was, I think, February of 2020. It did like 10,000 in the first like couple, three hours. And I was like, man, that's a good video. And I personally, like I did it for Facebook. I knew it would play well for Facebook. People here locally knew my kids, like they knew me, whatever. I just kind of passively posted it on TikTok. I woke up the next morning and it had a million views and I had 25,000 followers and it kept going. But then I started looking at the comments and it was like, dude, these are a bunch of kids. And so I was like, how do I age up my platform now? Like, how do I age this up? So I started making millennial based humor. I'm like, no, I want to attract millennials because they're the ones mm-hmm. buying the homes. They're right. the ones that are on 
the phones watching TikTok, right? Like they're buying homes. They might be watching TikTok. Like if I'm watching it, there's got to be other millennials out there. Right, sure. So I started making like a little bit more millennial based humor stuff and also mixing in mortgages. So overall, like my strategy has been like, I'm going to show my personality almost every single time. And then about 20% of the time, I'm going to hit you with some mortgage content, some mortgage facts, some whatever. But I've got a goofy personality. So I'm going to be goofy in my videos. I'm going to be goofy in my content. That is what's authentic and genuine to me. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, like, I think that that's why my platform grew. I was consistent and I was showing up as my true self, my genuine self. And I was also adding value. Back to what you said earlier, you said, if you're entertaining, like that's value too. Sure. I mean, for sure. Because like, look at how much we pay people in Hollywood or look at how much we pay people that play professional sports. That's entertainment. Right. You know what right. I mean? So there's value exactly. there too. 100%. Yeah. So try to, to take that approach and age up my platform. And I posted for six months on TikTok and grow to over a hundred thousand followers without getting a single mortgage lead. But I knew it was going to work. Like it was like, right. it's just right. it's a matter of time. And then in right. June or July of 2020, I got my first mortgage lead and I ended up closing like a month later. So it was, I think it was like six months almost to the day of when I first posted my first video to when I got my first closing there. You closed your very first lead. My very first lead was in like June or July of 2020. You should have just quit there. You said, hey, I have 100%, 100 lead, conversion, lead, right? lead to close ratio. Actually, you should buy my course. I'm a guru now. Right, exactly. Exactly. So no, I mean, that's not my TikTok story, but like, I think TikTok was just the platform and I got yeah. lucky that it played into what I had already established as kind of like my skill set. anyways. I had already sure. been working on my short form video. My whole thing was like, you know, we're talking about mortgages and my Instagram handle for a long time was mortgages are boring because they are. So how can I get people to watch this content? And I always thought that speed was my ally. I'm going to make it as fast as possible so that people are like, okay, I don't want to watch a boring video. But at the end of the day, like I know Nate is going to deliver a video in less than a minute. So like at the worst, I'm wasting a minute of my time. Right. Like that's kind of how I positioned it too. It was like, this might be boring, but it's going to take less than a minute. And you're going to learn something. So yeah. that was my entire strategy. I'm going to try a little bit more long form this year, which I have not really dabbled in that much, but I think that's going to be fun. It's going to be a new challenge. I'm along the journey, bro. Me too, man. I just launched a YouTube channel and obviously I've been doing podcasts for a few years now. It's mm -hmm. a little easier to do long form content when all you're doing is interviewing people. There's a whole nother level, right? I mean, I've yeah. done plenty of videos over the years because like you're trying to figure out how to deliver as much value mm -hmm. in as little amount of time as possible, but also, you know, like it's like long, but short, right? It's like, right. how do I distill? I'm prone to droning on, right? I'm right. prone to over explaining things. So it's been interesting to sort of figure out the whole process behind, okay, well, how do I maximize value? But then also mm -hmm. going and looking and comparing to other people, what are they doing? What are the ones that are winning for them? And I, as I'm looking at all the people that serve the mortgage industry, not a ton of good people out there, let's just say, and I don't mean not a ton of good people, but not a ton of good people that are putting out good content. Across the board, the videos that work the best for every single one of the creators in the mortgage space were all the ones that were the most value. Mm -hmm. All the ones that were salesy or like, mm -hmm. you know, those all either crashed or didn't work or whatever, right? And so it was interesting to see like, okay, well, this is what people want is more value, like bring yep. them value, like tangible value, not word salad, not a bunch of talking, not a sales letter, but value, like actual yep. tangible value. What can I take from this video so I can implement in my business? So from that perspective, like, what do you think? Right? I mean, I know you're the video mm -hmm. sort of short form person. Like, what do you think is the main thing 
that someone who is looking to start in, let's mm -hmm. just talk video, video on social media, where should they start? Like, where would you start if you were starting over today? I think if we're talking about like content creation as a whole, and yeah. no matter how you do it, whatever medium it is, I mean, if it's written, if it's pictures, if it's video, whatever, you have to understand like when you go to purchase something, I mean, I don't know how old you are. You look like you're about my age. 35. Uh, okay, I'm 36. So when we go to purchase something, what's the first thing that we do? We Google it, right? And we go read reviews. We go learn about it. Like that's how our generation and younger, that's how they yep. purchase things. That's how they make a purchasing decision. So why not be at the forefront of that so that you can be the resource that they're looking for to be educated? So like, that's why I'm a huge believer in educational content too. That's part of the adding value. Like I want to come and learn about this. I don't necessarily want to hear about why you're the best at it or why this, that, and the other. So like the sales tactics... You have to front load it with so much value at the beginning so that at the end, the CTA, where it's a little bit of a sales tactic, like the CTA is like, you've earned that right at that point. Right. You've given so much value that, okay, here's the CTA at the end. That's where you can convert versus like you having some kind of CTA at the very beginning that is like really salesy self-promotion to you trying to get business. Like, I don't necessarily think that that's going to play as well as time goes on because more and more people are turned off by that. So by and large, like if you're first starting out, I think anytime you talk about advertising or marketing, people's ability to empathize with their consumer and communicate with their consumer, that ultimately is what drives your success in a good ad or good marketing or good content in general is like your ability to know what your ideal client wants and Agreed. what they need to know. So that's what I try to tell people is like pick three customer avatars, pick three people that you want to work with. And I'm talking about like, how old are they? What are their interests? Where are they in life? Like, are they buying their first home? Are they buying their first rental property? Are they buying a beach condo? Like, who is it that you want to work with? What do they need to know? You've already probably had conversations with people like that. Take inventory of those conversations. Think about the questions they ask. Think about the myths that they believe. Think about all that, like debunk that, educate those three customer avatars through content. Like, it's the FAQs, it's the myths, and it's just general industry jargon, like define all of that. So start there, be a resource, inject your personality, and then put a CTA at the end, like front load it with value. But really, before you start, you need to think about who you're talking to. Before we started this podcast, like that was my question to you, is like, who are we talking to here? And that's really important because I've been on other podcasts before, and even it was like, hey, like, who's the audience here? I'm like, well, we don't know. Oh, I don't know who to talk to then. And if you're a loan officer, it's the same thing. Like if I don't have a down payment assistance program in my arsenal, why would I make content around down payment assistance? That's crazy. Well, well and, then, and then the other side of it too is like so many people are making content around down payment assistance. Then they're like, well, why am I attracting the lower caliber people? It's like, well, because that's who you're attracting by the stuff that you're putting out. And that's okay right. because, you know, I know plenty of top producers that are you know, down payment assistance specialists. They yep. love working with down payment right. assistance people, which is great. But if like, mm -hmm. that's not who you want to attract then stop doing that type. Yes, it's probably going to get you the maximum amount of views, likes, sure. engagement and stuff like that. But it's also going to attract a lot of people that don't qualify. I mean, again, I think that's okay because mm -hmm. I am a big believer in having options for everyone. Sure. I think some officers cut themselves off from that idea, but you're right. I mean, you know, finding that avatar. And what I say too is like, you're not going to post the same stuff for consumers that you do for realtors. So like mm -hmm. so many times people will post like even just like thinking about production, right? Oh, I've closed X amount of deals last year. And it's like, 
who are you posting that for? Mm-hmm. Are you posting that for realtors to see? Are you posting mm-hmm. that for the consumers to see? Mm-hmm. Mostly, you're posting that to brag to your own friends, loan yeah. officers, which is totally fine too. But again, understanding what is it, what's the purpose of this and who is it attracting and who mm-hmm. is it going to bring value to? Again, that may or may not be something that you'll post if you think of it through that lens, or it may be something you post anyway, because that's who you mm-hmm. are and you want to do it. Who cares? And that's the thing, like before you post anything, and I do this as well, you kind of get a sixth sense for it after you've done it for a while. But right, like, exactly. before you post, you're like, who is going to relate to this and how are they going to react? And sometimes it takes a little bit of experimentation, right? Like not all of my posts have been good, not just from an engagements perspective, but like, ah, wish I shouldn't have posted that. Wish I wouldn't have posted that. Wish I wouldn't have said uh-huh. it that way. We've all done it and that's part of it. But you post something and it tracks the wrong crowd. Like right. we've all done that. That's part of the process. But then you also have some bangers. Like, I mean, that video that I posted that had two point something million views, it didn't bring me a single mortgage lead. So like, sure, it grew my following, but I had another one that I posted that got, you know, 500,000 views and it brought me 33 pre-approvals in 24 hours. So much so that I had to private the video. I'm like, I don't have systems and processes in place for this. Yeah. So like that was one thing that like that taught me is like, okay, everybody wants to go viral until they go viral. And then once you go viral, you're like, this is actually not that cool. Like you get comments about yourself that you've never seen before. And it becomes like out of control. Like Rebecca and I, we make a comment, like we've found that once you get over a hundred thousand views, it's like, no matter what the video is, you're going to get some comments that are just going to go haywire and stuff can kind of like start to slide out of control. So yeah. People want to post for virality when I would rather post to make connections and to build a community. And that's something that I got away from. Really excited to get back to. Well, and I agree, man. And right. I mean, especially in this era, it's like, unless that's your intent is to go viral and that you want to monetize an audience because of your virality, if you want to become a content creator, great. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. I mean, well, even for myself, like, you know, my target market is loan officers, right? Right. Like that's a hundred and something thousand people, right? That's not a huge audience, you know, so me going viral in the mortgage space would be like, you know, whatever, 20 or 30,000 views. Right. Exactly. Um, You know, you can't compare that to me. Right. No, no, of course not. Because again, I'm also going after realtors and just basic consumers. Like my targeted audience is bigger than yours. So like pretty my much numbers anybody. are going to look different than yours. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Pretty much anybody could be a prospect for a loan officer or a real estate agent, which is what kind of beautiful for you. You can have such a broad market that you mm-hmm. can market to. It's nice because you can target everybody, but you don't want to market to everyone. And that's kind of what we're saying right now, right? Is like, hey, cool. You went viral, but it didn't for, create anything. Right. And there's some plenty of people that, you know, are making videos that are doing a hundred, two, three, four hundred. I even found myself like we had several people that came to us and they said, Oh, we found you on TikTok. I'm just literally cross posting some random podcasts like that I've made for reels or Facebook and Instagram. I just threw it on TikTok, getting 250 views a video. Yeah. I'm like, that's not doing anything. I'll just do right. it anyway. I don't care. And multiple people are like, oh, I found still you on getting TikTok. Stuck. Yeah. 250 views. And the other thing to think about too is like, I don't know if you know Phil Treadwell, but he always talks about this concept of like, well, you go to a networking event. How many people do you expect to talk to? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, you know, five, right? You know, five good conversations. So you're saying 250 people saw your valuable video mm-hmm. and you're sad that it didn't go viral, but yep. yet you're happy with five conversations at a networking event. How does yep. that you, right? Like, well, and so the thing that I loved specifically about TikTok and like other videos is like, when you were scrolling Facebook back in the day, when video wasn't that big, you most likely did so with the volume off and there was no captions, right? 
So what I liked about TikTok and then specifically when the platform started utilizing video more and more is more people turned the volume on. But was specifically with TikTok, I was like, hold on. So I can post a video and people are going to have the volume on. So they have to hear what I say versus Facebook at that time. It was like, okay, I'm scrolling for memes. I'm looking at articles. I'm seeing written word. Oh my goodness. So like, why is there a video on? I'm turning the volume right. off. Right. They weren't necessarily going there for video versus TikTok was like, no, like I'm pulling up my phone with the intention of listening to the volume. Nowadays, like we have captions. I don't know how people consume content like that. Like I personally, like if I know I'm going to a video app, like I'm going to have the volume on, I'm probably going to have headphones right. in, or I'm going to be in a place where I can listen to it. But that wasn't how people consume content back then. And so that's the other thing is like, I tried to make content that I would watch. And I tried to take note and take inventory and really observe like how I consumed content. And I was like, well, why do I consume it that way? I consume it that way, like other people consume it that way too. So how would I get me to turn the volume on? How would I get right. me to stop scrolling? And really, again, it goes back to that empathy, right? It's value and then empathy. I want to touch on this real quick because you talked about this earlier about the call center. And mm -hmm. I agree. I think from my perspective, people that start in a call center tend to be better salespeople. I know the general industry likes to talk a little bit of trash about consumer direct headset jockeys. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, most of those headset jockeys are considerably better salespeople than the majority of loan officers out there. Mostly just, again, purely sales. They may mm -hmm. not know how to structure a loan. They may not yeah. know a single guideline. Right. But from a sales perspective, which ultimately sales is having a conversation with someone, understanding if they have a problem, if they have a problem and your thing is the solution, you provide the solution to their problem. Mm -hmm. Right. That's really all sales is. Mm -hmm. People overcomplicate it, but that I think helps you understand like what is it that people actually want and listening to them. Because so many people, again, it's salespeople in general, they think that the thing that people care about is the pitch. Mm -hmm. I pitch them. And I find in sales conversations, like the most important part is not the pitch, is not what can I do for you? It's understanding what they want. So then you can right. specifically give them that. So it's the same thing with, with content. Listen to your prospects. Mm -hmm. What are the things that they want? What are the things they're asking? And then so many times, again, people talk about, oh, DTI and LTV and whatever, BRB. And it's like, yeah, like you're using techno babble. So all that does by using that sort of language in your content or in even your sales conversations is you're almost like talking down to them. Because if they feel dumb, they're not going to want to listen to you. Like you're using all these words that sound cool, but I don't understand it. So like when you're going to create content, I guess let's talk a little bit kind of towards more like the tactical. Like how are you creating, you know, ideas for content? And then how does that look like from a structure, like your scripting and things like that, just to kind of get into a little bit of that, you know? So I think one of the biggest objections that I hear all the time when I'm talking about someone who wants to learn how to create content or whatever, like, I don't know what to talk about. It goes back to taking inventory of the conversations you're already having every single day. Right. right. Because it's what teachers used to say back in school, like, hey, you know, ask a question, because if you have that question, chances are someone else has that question. Right. It's the same thing. So start there. If you ever see my content and you notice that I'm starting to define terms going through the alphabet you know that I have got like writer's block super bad. Like, hey, here's what an appraisal is. Hey, here's what DTI, like, you know what I mean? Like that's how yeah. bad my writer's block have gotten is like, I'm starting to define these terms and define industry jargon. So eventually it goes on autopilot because so much stuff happens. Like, nope, I'm going to talk about that. So one of the tricks that I've learned about myself that I had to have multiple notebooks in multiple different places to write down ideas 
so that I would actually come back and like execute on them. So I've got a notebook, my desk, I've got a notebook in my golf bag, and then I've got a notebook on my nightstand at the house. Because those are the three places that I spend the most time. So if an idea strikes, like you have to write it down and write down as much as your vision as you can right there so that you can go back. Because if you don't, you're like, well, I got to make this video right now. Right. Chances are you won't remember it. So I think people overcomplicate it a little bit up front. Agreed. They don't know what to talk about. But again, think about the FAQs and then start there. But then what's really cool is like, then the creative juices start flowing. You've gotten through the boring videos. You've gotten through the get me done videos. So now you're starting to get engagement. Like you've got some comments. People are texting you like, hey man, like I really enjoyed that video. Or like a realtor texts you like, hey, like I would like to hear your thoughts on this. Or I saw this video on this. Could you talk about this? Like you start to get like suggestions. It's the same thing as like, I started posting memes on my story, on my Instagram and Facebook story four, five, six years ago. And I did like three memes or four memes a day. And it was like for three or four years in a row, I didn't miss a single day. And people would always ask me like, hey, how do you find so many memes? And it started with me finding about a hundred memes. And that kind of like got it going. And then people started sending me memes. Right, so right, right. like on autopilot. It's the same thing with content. Like if you go out there and you commit to, all right, I'm going to post 12 videos, right? I'm going to post 12 videos. And then after that, like ideas and everything is going to go on autopilot. The engagement in the comments are going to give you enough ideas to go from there. Now, as far as like the scripting, some people are going to disagree with me on this, but I think naturally people need to pick up the camera and explain it like they were on FaceTime with their buddy. Like if it was you and me, like, hey, man, can you explain what LTV is? I would start immediately and say, okay, here's what LTV is or whatever. But like those videos are going to suck. Eventually, you're going to learn how to write a hook. A right. hook is like, think of it as the headline of a article. Again, going back to how journalism has helped me. I spent an entire semester learning how to write a headline. And nice. so that was the stop the scroll version back then. So essentially all I'm doing is taking what I would be writing for a headline and I'm just verbalizing it. And that is my hook, essentially. The hook is the thing that makes you stop the scroll. The person that's watching, it tells them a little bit about what you're about to talk about, but it also like piques their interest. Right. So that's the first step is like getting them to stop the scroll. And then you can go into the meat and the potatoes of the actual video. So basically what that looks like is the very first line of the video is, hi guys, my name is Luke and I'm a mortgage broker. And no, I'm just kidding. That is not what you do, but is what most people do and guarantee most people that are doing that are losing listeners within seconds, right? And so, so like you said, especially with short form content like TikTok, Reels, things like that, you know, we already have a shortened attention span as consumers, right? Because we're so used to getting so much information all the time. And so like our attention spans are so short. And because of that, that first, what, two to five seconds is so mm -hmm. pivotal in creating that. I mean, we think about like, if you've ever watched a Mr. Beast video, like his first like 10 seconds is just moving and things it's crazy. And he's creating open loops. You don't have to be quite as crazy because you're not right. getting someone to watch a, you know, a five, 10, 15, 20 minute video. You're just trying to get them to stay 60 seconds or two minutes or three minutes or whatever. But yeah, that first couple seconds is so, so critical. And I mean, it's basically the way I like to define it is it's basically clickbait, but instead of it being clickbait, you actually deliver on the clickbait, right? Mm -hmm. So in my head, clickbait is if you say something that isn't delivered in the content. That's when it's considered real clickbait, in my opinion. Otherwise, it's very good hook, then you deliver on your promise, you deliver mm -hmm. on your bait, right? But yeah, you have to create that real sort of heavy connection or curiosity. 
But I also want to encourage people to tell more stories too. So people, they love stories. So one example of a video that did really well that brought in followers, it brought in views, it brought in eyeballs, and it brought in leads. The hook was something, I think it was something like, this was probably the most awkward conversation I've ever had in my entire career. And people were like, okay, what's this guy going to talk about? That's a great hook. Right. It took me, what, three, three and a half seconds to say that. And then I went into the story of it. And it was about a dude that he was buying a house with his wife. And they got to the closing table and the identity disclosure, whatever it is, where you see all of your aliases or whatever. He noticed that his wife had a different last name on the alias disclosure. And he was like, what is this last name? And they found out at the closing table with me staring at them that she had been previously married. And they went out into the parking lot, like fought about it, came back in and they're like, okay, we're still going to buy the house. I'm like, okay, good. Cause like, I got like four grand, like, <laughs> like on the line here. I really need you all to close now. Yeah. So that was interesting because had that hook, right? And then I backed it up with a story and then I capped it at the end with some kind of lesson. It was like, hey, like before you buy a house, like this is part of the process. This is going to be something that's at the closing table. So the more that you can incorporate stories like that and then finish it off with a lesson, something of value, you're doing entertainment and then education value. I love it, man. And so just to kind of, you know, close things up a little bit, when you're doing content, Do you have like pillars? Like, are you pulling from sort of multiple different areas? Or, I mean, you said about 20% of your content is business specific Mm -hmm. sales type oriented stuff, but curious, like, do you have multiple pillars that you're pulling from? Like, what does that sort of look like? I don't know how I define it, man. I think more than anything, like I really just try to think about who I want to attract and what they need to know. So it's not necessarily like, okay, I'm going to talk about like FHA loans and I'm going to... It's not as structured. I personally like doing that because that's what like kind of makes me relatable is like I'm not a mega structured person anyways. So some of it is a little bit more fly by the seat of my pants, but there's organization on the back end that y'all don't really get to see. But I think that helps me attract like a wider range of people. But by and large, like I like to build a community and build relationships. So part of the pillars, so to speak, is like, I'm going to post some videos that I know are not going to necessarily perform well, but they're going to strengthen my community. And that's okay. Right. Like I'm not right. trying to go viral every single post. Like I have some posts where I'm like, this one's going to pop off. And if it doesn't, you're like, that sucks. But right. most right. of the time, like I've got a pretty good feel for like, this one's going to pop off. Like this one's for eyeballs. This one is for just my own creativity and my own fun. And sometimes like found that when you post like for yourself almost, not in a selfish way, but like, hey, this is going to be fun for me. You attract your tribe, right? Right, 100%. And then this is just strictly educational. So I don't know what the exact proportions are. I don't track it that well, but it's more of just like a feel thing. Like at the very beginning, when I first started posting on Facebook, like I knew I was going to do four posts and it was going to be, this is something that's going on in my personal life. And I'll try to relate it back to mortgages every once in a while, where 20% is like, hey, you need to call me now for a mortgage. And I did whatever. It was front loading them with like my personality and just getting to know me. And then I've earned the right since they know, like, and trust me at that point that I can hit them with some hard hitting mortgage facts. Nice. Nice, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, what I meant by like pillars is like, I'm the same, right? I'm not super structured at I mean, ADHD. It doesn't allow for too much structure. But what I'll say is I typically, when I tell people about like sort of content buckets, I typically say like for myself, at least my three buckets are business, 
family thought leadership really mm-hmm. is like, oh, okay. so it's like, you know, stuff like that. Right. It's like, so I'm going to post business type content. And mm-hmm. I typically say the rule of thirds, right. It, it can be whatever it is. Right. It's like no more than 30% or 33% should be business. No more than 33% should be this No more. And again, I'm not tracking it that mm-hmm. like crazy, but I do try to sprinkle in these different, like, Hey, I want a thought leader post. And I'm going to mm-hmm. do a meme. And then I'm going to do like something about business and mm-hmm. I'm going to do a family post because it's like, those are all like different facets of who I am. And mm-hmm. honestly, I really more like 10 to 20% is business. But again, it could be like you said, stories, right? It doesn't necessarily have to be like an outright business. When I'm talking about business, I mean like, call me, right? Like mm-hmm. call me because of this. I honestly very rarely make direct offers right. like that. It's just usually like, hey, check out this cool testimony. Oh, this person killed it. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. this person calls the leads, right? You know, fun stuff like that. So uh, <laughs> those yeah. are the ones you really like to post, right? I love those posting. Those that get you jacked up, bro. Yeah, well, and I got to learn to. Sometimes, like you said, I mean, I post sometimes for myself, but I know that I can ruffle some feathers and things, mm-hmm. like, which I guess is a good thing. Cause you know, when they talk about going to attract your tribe and the people who decide they want to unfriend you off of social media posts, like they were mm-hmm. probably not your tribe. Right. No. So, and, then, yeah. and that's a tough pill to swallow, but you know, it happens. And the more and more you kind of show your personality and your true self, like it's just like real life, man. Like friends yeah. come and go. As you age, you start to fall out of touch with people because you all go different ways. And that's fine. That's just human yeah. nature. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, all right, man, I'm going to give you a hard one. This last okay. one, this is what I do on every single episode. If you were to start over today, mm-hmm. and I kind of sort of give you this, but like, what is one thing that you recommend a loan officer could go out there right now and go out and get business. Like what is one strategy, one tactic, one thing that they could do, two things, whatever, whatever, you know, something simple. So I've told realtors to do this as well, but I firmly believe that like loan officers should do this too, but it's still social media related. So, mm-hmm. and part of it is like, okay, you're just starting out. You don't have any deals, right? So unless you're being fed leads, you have to go find them in some way, shape or form. So right. depending on what your strategy is, if you're going to go out there and you're going to be strictly referral based, Right then you need to go start adding some realtors. You need to go start adding some CPAs. You need to go start adding some builders on Facebook and Instagram. And then you need to start creating content. And that content at the very beginning can just be you posting in the story, updating you on what your day looks like. So I'll give you an example. And then loan officers are going to have to use their big boy and big girl brains and relate it back to them. But I would tell realtors to go into a showing that they had and get there, you know, five minutes before they're showing five minutes before their client or whatever, and walk the house. It shows that you're active. You don't have any showings, go to an open house and just film you walking around. It creates this idea that you're active and you're out there like selling homes. So give that perception off like that. So it's not necessarily you sharing some kind of like Canva template about like what rates are doing today or whatever. Right, but right. give your spin on what's happening in the market. Like start to show that you are active in that community, so to speak. So start with that and then build from there, man. Dude, I love that because like that's something that I did when I was really off too. Is And I told people this all the time. It's like you may have one or two closings a month. You have one closing a month. You know how many things you can talk about? You can talk about hey, I got it clear to close in X amount of time. You can talk mm-hmm. about, hey, you know what? They got rejected by another lender. I was able to do X, Y, Z. This is the same deal. You don't have to tell people it's the same Mm-mm. deal. I did the same thing. I used to talk about the same client. Oh, this client got X amount of leads this week. Right. Oh, this client. Oh man, one of our clients got 10 leads today. Wow, right. that's crazy. Oh, one of our clients got an application. Yeah, I had like four or five clients. There was no us. It was just me. I don't remember who gave me this, but there's different types of proof. The one that you were talking about is kind of like proof of upward spiral, right? There's mm-hmm. there's other ones, right? Types of proof, results, industry peers, mainstream press, living mm-hmm. proof, 
reviews, expertise, upward spiral, and fan base, right? So these are all different ways that you can create like this aura of like, hey, you know what? I'm successful. I have things going on. And people are attracted to people that are on the up and up, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the proof of upward spiral is huge. You just talked about it. Like just y'all go in and freaking walk in the house. When you say walking, you mean walk it and film it, correct? Yep. Walk the house and it's like, okay, this person is going and showing a house. When in reality, like you're just walking through an open house. They don't know that right. you don't have a client with you. Right, right. So right. loan officers got to find the parallel to that. And the parallel to that might be you telling about like what the Fed just did or right. something else like that. You have to find an excuse of something that you can look like you're more active than you actually are. Nobody knows that you have a pipeline of zero. Right. You just got to take action. I agree. You know, also just before we close out is the other thing that you're doing too, is by adding these people, Hey, guess what? If you want to cold call that person, ah, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden they've been on your social media, you've engaged yep. with them multiple times, they've seen your video content or your written content or something like that. It's so much warmer of a conversation than saying, mm-hmm. hey, I just wanted to call and see if you played this weekend or if you worked. And it's like, okay, right. well, no, I've seen your social media posts, man, I've been engaged. That's awesome. I love right. your stuff, dude. Hey, I really love your dog or whatever. The fact that you go to the gym every day or right. whatever is really inspiring to me. Like, right. Oh, easy. Social media makes it so easy to have warm cold calls. You can build relationships so much faster. That's my biggest takeaway there probably is like, yes, it's called social media, but let's get back to social networking. Like use it to actual network. Yep. Yep. Agreed, man. All right, man. So if someone wanted to learn more about you, your team, find you online, check out Mm -hmm. your content, steal some of your content, any of those fun things, what's the best way for them to connect with you? find you, all that kind of fun stuff. You can find me on Instagram or TikTok at The Mortgage Creator. The Mortgage Creator. Awesome. My takeaways from today is obviously social media is huge. Mm -hmm. uh, But from what I can tell, consistency is the name of the game. And I think consistency is the name of the game, regardless of what you do, regardless if you're on social media or not. You know, I personally, you know, recommend that you're on it. We talk about that even, you know, we run a marketing agency. We generate leads for loan officers. We tell them to do organic content. Very same reason you talked about it. What is someone going to do as soon as they get off the call with you? They're going to go Google you. If you don't have mm-hmm. reviews, if you don't have social media content, if you don't have that kind of stuff, they're most likely not going to move forward. Again, I mean, unless you're a total savage salesperson, you don't need that. But most people, it's a trust-based way of building authority and things like that. So it makes a big difference. So my thing is, yeah, you get there doing it. But, you know, don't sit back. Don't wait for things to happen, right? You know, it's not like you just posted and hoped for it. It's like you're doing that and, right? I'm sure you're posting social media and you were networking and you were, it's not one or the other. You just kind of have to do everything. I'll leave you with this. So like, even if your strategy is mostly cold calling or calling the leads, right? I've found that if you work on creating content, then it actually helps you in the sales process too and your communication as well. So It'll help get those conversations better anyways. Yeah, man, I love it, man. And so, uh, I mean, at this point, what would you wager? How many videos do you think you made in your career at this point? Probably close to a thousand. Yeah, yeah, probably me too. I don't I don't know either. I don't know the number, but it's been a lot, a lot of videos between trainings and this and just videos themselves. So, man, I appreciate your time so much today. I felt like we had a lot of value, but yeah, I mean, if you want to go check out what it looks like to post consistently on Instagram, on TikTok, I mean, I know you're pretty consistent even on Facebook, mm-hmm. you know, go check out his social profiles. You know, again, I wouldn't recommend ripping off word for word, but you know, understand what Nate's talking about and then apply it for yourself, right? We all say things differently. We can all deliver the same message way different ways and people are going to be attracted to us because we're different, right? And so that's a huge thing there. Take the concepts he's talking about, replicate them, make them your own. 
it's not that hard, really. I mean, you know, he's already done a lot of the work for you. Just figure out what's working for him and, you know, figure out what works for you. So, man, thank you so much for your time today. And if you are a loan officer on here that's looking for help on flipping the status quo on real estate agents, go to flipthestatusquo.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the Loans On Demand podcast on loansondemandpodcast.com. 